Welcome to another figure week, park surface week, organic week. Hey everyone, my name is Ahmed Aldouri. I'm a concept artist and former instructor at Art Center College of Design, Brainstorm, CCS, CGMA, and various other places. And I would like to introduce to you this digital painting course that I've created. But before we get into anything, I just wanna thank you for the support you've all given me this whole time. And with the support of so many of you, I've been able to put together everything I know about painting into this digital painting course. You want to become a pro, illustrator, concept artist, or even just a hobbyist, but you don't have a clear map to get there. And that's where I come in. I spent the last six months compiling everything I know from my 20 years of art practice, and I've turned it all into a map. Starting with foundations such as rendering shapes, color theory, painting basic subjects, understanding brushwork, brush economy, all that fun stuff, deconstructing the skull, drawing it from every angle, Angle, all the way to master studies, stylized painting, and you'll find yourself at the end of the course doing a concept art project based on everything that we learn in the first 14 lessons. So how does it work? Well, you sign up, you watch the lectures, do the assignments, post them to the community page if you want, and treat it as a self-study, except for those of you who have signed up for the weekly meeting where I personally critique your work in a virtual classroom setting. I believe learning by repetition is super important. That's what I've sort of presented a lot in this course, and the assignments are tailored for that, as adapted from my time teaching at Art Center. And each of these lessons have step-by-step -step explanations in real time. If you've ever seen my videos, you know exactly how I teach. And this course is intended to be a substitute for a college level course, but you don't have to pay the four or $5,000 per class, racking up maybe 200K in debt. With my custom design course, you'd be paying a fraction of that. And of course, I also have payment plan options if you don't want to pay for the whole thing at once. Thank you for watching this and I'll see you soon. Hey guys and welcome back to another episode of digital Artcast. Um, i'm glad that you're all joining me again um, for another talk another chat um, again whatever you guys are in the world right now i hope you're all staying safe um, with multiple things going on on the planet right now um, i know a lot of people are stressed or displaced and uh, definitely uh, hoping you guys are, are just uh, are just yeah just staying safe it's a bad time out there um, but again, uh, I'm hoping that these podcasts and these chats are something that you can cling to and, and listen on while you're, while you're dealing with whatever you're dealing with. And uh, 
yeah i'm always glad and, and appreciative that you guys can can be here to, to listen um really special episode again today i know i kind of say this with everybody but i'm always just absolutely humbled about how many amazing people i can get on this podcast to chat um it really does blow my mind uh when people say that they want to come on and talk it's always a pleasure um when people say they will and i know that you know schedules being put the way um it's usually difficult to arrange this stuff but um in the end i always try my best to be accommodating and my patience has finally paid off as uh we have mr scott robertson here again today for the second time on the podcast how are you doing scott i'm doing well thanks thanks for having me on again um yep yeah as you know i have a soft soft spot for people from scotland so um (laughs) The Robertson name is, is serving you well. Uh, that's so, right. Yeah. That's right. So yeah, yeah. nice yeah. to nice to join you and it's, yeah, and to to um, second your comments about the difficulties uh, going on around the world right now. It's quite yeah. you know distracting and frustrating and disappointing and all of those sorts yeah. of things and tragic. Yeah, um, so yeah. yeah, we'll try to maybe take just a little break from that in order to mm-hmm. you know talk about future things and and yeah. hopefully shed a light on uh, some you know, hopefully better days and things to look forward to. Of course. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's one of these things when even I've talked to a couple of people, I know because I'm on this side of the world and I know people from Ukraine, um, art has been one thing Yeah, that I've been, they've been focusing on to really just create content and try and block that part of it out if they can, which is difficult. I know, you know, it's it's impossible, but, uh, yeah, art will prevail. I mean, if you look back even during the Renaissance and a lot of people who were traditional painters, um, some of the most beautiful things that came out of that were the, the stuff they created. So I'm hoping that um, it will be the same with this, um, even though it's a, a really hard time. Um, I'm hoping the things that come out of it also will be beautiful that will maybe try and take some silver lining away from what's happened. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. tragic. Yeah. yeah. Um, anyway, anyway, so, yeah. yeah. So uh, it's been a couple of years since we chatted. I think we've, we've done the numbers and... We originally met in 2016, which yep. uh, doesn't seem like that long ago. Uh, crazy how time has flown on. Um, but then we had our first talk on the podcast in 2018. Um, and at the time, again, you were talking about transitioning from uh, entertainment mediums to uh, more, uh, I think the word is ecological, more more kind of... Yeah, uh, well, over here that... we, call it, we call it green tech. But right. Yeah. So yeah. there's all sorts of things you can do in the green tech space. But, yeah. Um, yeah. Saving I the planet. It. <laughs> yeah, I did get a little, yes, exactly, which also, yeah, is super yeah. important to do. Um, yeah. I did get a little sidetracked. Um, mm-hmm. uh, Apple showed up at, at my studio and said, hey, you should come do this thing with us instead. Yep. Um, and hire somebody to take over what you're doing on the green tech. Right. And it's like, nah, <laughs> yeah, it sounds interesting. And uh, yeah. so I, I made the leap, actually. So I sort yeah. of disappeared for about three and a half years. Right. So, uh 18 19 20 um yeah i left uh may of last year 21 so okay um it, yeah it was it, it was part of the deal too you sort of just disappear you drop out <laughs> social media no workshops no freelance work uh, oh, of course yes yeah, it's, it's difficult with uh with apple you know they're very traditionally secretive about everything yeah. they do and uh yeah. and, and for good reason you know of course yeah. Yep. And, and you're sort of all in or not. And so I decided oh, I'll make the leap and see what it's like to work for a big company. Um, yeah. I mean, kind of once in a lifetime, but I mean, yeah, uh, yeah. definitely, definitely not your first big company that you've worked for. Definitely. I mean, you've, you've been in a, a few, you know, in your career. So, uh, yeah, it was, uh, was Apple any different to other places you'd worked that work in a large corporations? Um, I think it was, um, I haven't worked in that large a corporation before. I mean, we have 
Apple has 142,000 employees or something. Oh, wow. Yeah, well, yeah. I mean, <laughs> that's a scale. Over, yeah. that, over half of that's in the retail uh, right. stores, but I'm still, you know, some of the best and brightest minds on the planet are inside that imagine. company. So um, in that regard, it was quite uh, interesting and Shared fun, space, yeah. Um, yeah. but an amazing company. So a very positive experience all around. Good. Uh, and I can't, of course, say what I was doing, but it was yep. all super creative and, and of course. good to do while I was there. Yeah. Um, and, but, you know, and, and then I have, as things wrapped up there, and now I'm back into exploring green tech uh, possibilities. Right. Um, but when I left there, uh, May of last year, mm-hmm. I had a, a strong interest over the summer to explore into different um, software apps and creativity. Right. And I spent sort of the last, well, the last six months of last year exploring a bunch of different apps. Um, wow. Yeah. And doing kind of a deep dive and then reaching out to some dev teams, some software development teams right? Um, to work with them on their tools, uh, just honestly to help uh, make the tools better. Yeah. I mean, we kind of touched on it before we started recording, but yeah, you've, you've kind of had your hands in everything at this point. You know, most things that are an app for either creativity or production, you've kind of um, touched in some way, you know, between AI, VR, and even iPad stuff, you've kind of explored a whole vast range um was there any particular reason that was a thing was it just that from what you were doing previously maybe apple you felt that that was something that was missing that you didn't want to get to do creatively or you know i think I, that I, i've always been interested in in one in, in creativity and process and that that you know feeds into the how to draw and how to render books right, right. that's all that's tech that's really what that's about is a, mm-hmm. is how to think and then how yeah. to communicate those those ideas and so mm-hmm. I think it's an extension of that and that there are now more tools that have, that are becoming relevant um, to support the same thinking process. Right. And so in, in, you know, still having an interest in writing the how to design book someday, um, the third (laughs) in that series, um, I, I wanted to, and I always have an interest in sort of staying relevant and staying up on what are the current tools and tool sets, because whatever book I'm going to put out that needs to reflect, you know, at least I would like it to reflect what's in the field. Yeah. yeah what's in the field, what's modern, what's, mm-hmm. what's the most helpful mm-hmm. and then uh, things to watch out for um, things that aren't helpful. And yeah. then also to learn how to extrapolate, especially the abstraction world back into something functional. Right. And that's this marriage of traditional drawing and rendering skills put with the, the abstract idea creation. Um, yeah. but there's a, also a large fear of people when new tools come along, right. There's like a backlash of, you know, Oh, it's going to take my job. I'm no longer uh, relevant, yeah. all this sort of thing. And so, yeah. um, what I wanted to try and do was be the Guinea pig, right. That would jump in with an open mind yeah. and say, Hey, how can I help craft these tool sets to make it a digital assistant and not a digital overlord? Because yeah. everybody's assumption is when like AI creation tools come along, that well, we're done, right? That's, you know, that's, I'm now working for the machine. Right. And, you know, that was sort of the same thought even with Photoshop, right? It's like, it's like, no, you, photo collaging and then painting over those collages was, you know, yeah, yeah like, where's the skill yeah. in that? And, but you see that it's just become another tool, yes. right? Same with 3D, you know, 3D modeling in, in mm-hmm. sort of in support of drawing and painting. Mm-hmm. Right. So the tools just change and they always have changed and they always will change. 
Yes. And so I think you can get stuck if you sort of say, well, these are my tools I'm using and that's all I'm going to, I'm going to use. I'm, I'm yeah. done learning. Right. Yeah. So it's not a very, um, sort of progressive adaptive mentality. Yeah. Um, so in the interest of that, that's kind of why I dove in over the summer. Um, right. A bunch of the AI stuff, a mm-hmm. lot of VR, um, even stuff on the iPad from a 3D modeling standpoint, which has just gone bonkers. You know, yes. there, there's, I mean, iPad modeling now there's, I mean, for me, at least on the organic side, there's two apps, Forger and Nomad. Nomad, yep. Yeah. And especially Nomad because of the rendering ability, the post-processing rendering right. ability with the yeah filters and lighting and it's just stunning. I mean, I can do a, on my iPad pro, I can do a 4k rendering in about 10 seconds, you know, <laughs> out of nomad. And it's like, what, how am I crazy. doing that on an iPad? It's ridiculous. Yeah, so, crazy. you know, and it's got all the sort of basic, uh, ZBrush esque modeling tools. Um, right. It, so you could call it ZBrush light almost. Um, yeah. So, and I bet for 80% of modelers, you know, that want are like hobby modelers that, and even professionals, that works, right? Yep. Yeah. And, I suppose there are a couple of guys who are professional 3D character artists and Nomad is something that they are definitely behind. They think it's a very good tool. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's great. I mean, Glenn Southern has the best, um, oh, yeah, you know, Glenn. tutorials. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Cool. On, Glenn's a good on, dude. He does a great job of yep. Nomad. So I, I bought a couple of his tutorials when I got into it. Um, nice. And uh, I'm sure no, Glenn will be screaming that, he, that, that you've done that. He'll be like, oh, my God. He's a, totally, he's a big no, fan totally of yours. Worth, totally yeah. worth it. So, yeah. I mean, Glenn and I are in the same sort of community, and we overlap in Gravity Sketch a little bit. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, for sure, Nomad and Forger are both fantastic. Um, Forger's now become part of uh, Maxon suite of, you know, modeling tools. Oh, I never knew that. Okay. Yeah, they right. bought them. Um, okay. So Nomad, uh, Nomad though, because of the post-processing image rendering capabilities is pretty, pretty stunning. Um, yeah, that's interesting as well, because I think, did they not just buy ZBrush as well recently? Logic. As part of, uh, I don't know. I think maybe, Maxon, because Maxon, the guys who do Cinema 4D, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, they just bought Logic. They just bought ZBrush um, wow. like about six months ago, I think. Um, oh, I think that was the same time they picked up Forger. I think they're trying yeah, to well, obviously well, make a play for that whole suite. Yeah, I was going to say, it's interesting how that's going now as well, because I know uh, the last time I spoke to Geo, uh, Geo was working still, uh, well, he left Adobe to go straight to just working with uh, with uh, Adobe. What's the one they've got now? It's Adobe Modeler, uh, I think. Modeler, yeah, yeah, Modeler. Yeah. Yeah, which is again, I think that's more in the, the VR PC space. But again, that's a whole thing that is now I've heard, especially for blocking out modeler, is uh, crazy good. Although I've also heard that Gravity Sketch in VR is good as well because it's almost like a like Lego sets or old school like uh, kit bashing for building models for film. Like you can kind of just fire parts on and and make stuff out of it. And yeah, if you're concepting really quickly, maybe not for production, but if you just want to get shapes down and build things, then um, yeah, Gravity it's, Sketch it's, is really good. It's actually both. Um, you right. can use their, they have a great uh, prefab library where you can import OBJs and just kit bash. You can bring in the texture maps even. Um, right. But at the same time, it's got actually pretty sophisticated sub D modeling tools. So wow. you could, um, I'm doing a, a series of cars right now mm-hmm. for a big NFT launch. And mm-hmm. um, they were all modeled. Then they're for a video game. They were all right. modeled entirely in graphics. sketch. Oh, yeah. wow. Okay. And, um, I find it to be so much easier and much more intuitive than working on a flat screen, trying to interpret, 
you know, forms yeah. on a flat screen. Obviously there are advantages and disadvantages to both, yes. but I have found that it's because of the fun factor mm-hmm. to work in VR and be able to see it one-to-one and walk around the shape essentially right. and sit inside the vehicle um, of course. becomes super entertaining. So now you're more into it and you're engaged and you want to model, right? Yeah. Um, and then the shapes I'm able to model are much more gestural and, and um, you know. Those machines kind of thing. Yeah, it's just they're they're. I feel less constrained, right? right? I'm able to I'm able to capture more of the gesture of the form and the sculptural nature of it versus working on a flat screen, as so. opposed to doing it in like ZBrush or Maya Max, that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, Maya. I'm a Moto modeler, but it's just polygoning, okay. right? Whether yeah. effectively Maya Moto or are equal on the context yeah. of um, you know modeling architecture. So, yeah. Um, it's always crazy to hear some of the the bigger 2D guys like yourself. Um, like even when I spoke to Yama Yurbarev a couple of years back, like, you know, uh, some of these guys who, you know, came up doing a lot of, you know, hardcore 2D stuff are now very accomplished 3D modelers also. I mean, it kind of, it scares me almost when people are so diverse in their, in their skill set, right? That there's just such a wide berth of stuff that you can do. Yeah, um, I think I, I have I have been observing that it's easier for people that have the traditional skills Yes. Um, to transition into 3D yep. versus 3D modelers learning how to draw and paint. Um, yeah, because you're building that part of your brain when you learn to draw in three dimensions with perspective, right? When you're building that stuff, if you can do it cohesively, then you walk in a 3D program, you're just transferring that skill set into another medium. So, yeah. yeah. And yeah. there's also the hand skills of the, that just takes mileage to build the sort of muscle memory that you need when drawing. Yeah. Um, and that becomes sort of uh, time time limiter, right? How do you ever get the, the amount of hours you need to build that um, dexterity? Yeah. Right. Um, and what happened was, I think historically, is that a lot of us that learned how to draw and paint traditionally, we didn't have computers at the time, yeah. right? There, there were no, there was no Photoshop. There, or VR there, or anything like that. Yeah. No VR, no Photoshop, yeah. no yeah. iPads, yep. no, um, you know, CAD programs yep. that were, um, you know, helpful really much at all. Yeah. Yeah. And so what, what do we end up doing all the time? You drawing, draw. drawing, rendering by hand and modeling by hand, right. With yeah. clay and wood and foam and that sort of yeah. stuff. So, of you know, and we had years doing that with, without any digital distractions, let's say. Yeah. So then when the digital things started to come in as mm-hmm. tools to assist that way of thinking and communicating, right. Yeah. Our hand skills of course came with us. Right. Um, and so, and that's just going to be tough to ever, uh, you know, get to that level of those people during that era because that's all they did. So that's an interesting point as well. And I don't want to divert too much from what we're talking about app wise, but just quickly, do you feel like within the digital space now, when people are coming to learn concept design or design in general, um, do you feel like there is too much noise in the space? And trying to learn do you think it's almost overwhelming yeah i'm i'm even feeling it i mean i have 11 apps here on my list that i dug into <laughs> over the last right six seven months and so yeah yeah um yes there is a lot to pick from mm-hmm. and i think there is something to be said for it's great to have all these different tool sets available yeah. but um it's it's sort of unsatisfying if you don't master one of them to actually start to produce high quality work out of it. So maybe it's a good way to do, um, to think about it is to do an appropriate amount of research. Like Glenn does a nice, like uh, side by sides. I'm like, well, this app does this, this app does that before you even jump in 
Right. So I think now you actually have to do some research and figure out what is the right fit for yeah. the way I like to think mm-hmm. and my own pipeline um, before I commit to learning that app. Um, and then when you commit to it, try and stick with it long enough yeah. that you can get to the joy part of it because yeah. right, the first the first month with it or you know, weeks, weeks to mm-hmm. a month is going to be frustrating, right? It's going to be slower than what yeah. you do with traditional media. It's you know, so you just have to sort of work through that. And really it's about being patient um, with results out of the app and also patient with yourself while learning. Yes. Um, so if you can detach the productivity and speed component um, and not make that a part of learning, then I think you, your journey learning a new app becomes much more enjoyable. Yeah, I mean, it's been the same from even with production model and then something like Maya, you know, the, the temptation has always been there to move to something like Blender because of the hype and the tool set and, you know, it's free and it's incredible. But, um, you know, the, the time spent learning Blender would just, for me, production-wise, slow me down so much because I had to learn it. And because I'm so fluent in Maya at the moment, maybe not a master, but, you know, enough so the tool set is out of the way, you know, I, I don't want to really give that up because then it just it almost sets me back, you know, four to six months try to learn that again so right yeah so you have to there has to be a big carrot there right Mm -hmm. so if if you do a side by side and you say okay well maya blender i'm super proficient at maya i already Mm -hmm. own it i'm already Mm -hmm. up and running on it so if i look at the modeling side of it is blender that much better on the modeling side that that Mm -hmm. would justify probably probably not for some people maybe but in my experience, yeah, I don't think it, there's, there's enough at the moment. I mean, it definitely, I think because it's free, it, it does do things in a yeah, sense that... Already, yeah, but if you're, you're already in deep in Maya, yeah, of course. But then you, yeah. So then you have to look and say, well, okay, what it does have are these really nice, um, you know, almost real-time rendering stuff at yeah. the end of it with EV and cycles, and I don't think cycles is real-time, or, but it's anyway, yeah. or maybe it is. But so now you say, well, okay... So is there something I can add to Maya that does, that gives me that extra, that extra that Blender has? And um, for me, um, it was the same sort of thought about Moto, right? right? As like you and Maya, me and Moto Mm -hmm. with years Mm -hmm. of experience there, um, Mm -hmm. but it has a slow rendering engine, right? Mm -hmm. So um, Blender looked really appealing but then what I did is I looked, well, I said, well, the modeling tools, you know, I think modeling tools in Moto are really elegant and the UI mm-hmm. is very approachable, that sort of mm-hmm. thing. Um, and it works well out of, out of Gravity Sketch. I mean, Gravity Sketch just puts out an OBJ, you know, quads, you know, have whatever you modeled in Sub-D there you get in Blender or Maya or Moto, doesn't really matter, um, but it works really well. Um, and so the export into Moto worked, um, but I was missing the the high speed render. Right. So, so I um, did some research, talked to a friend of mine who's like a moto expert um, and like a a visualization pro. And I'm like, okay, look, there's some things out there. There's Autodesk V-Red, right. There's, um, you know, Octane, Mm -hmm. um, there's switching to Blender and then doing EV and cycles as the the back end of that. Unreal as well, actually. I've had a lot of people using Unreal recently. Unreal. Yeah. Now Unreal's really come on now leaps right? and bounds yeah as, as the as, and which is like a full a real um you know real-time render. engine yeah yeah exactly game engine mm-hmm. um but there's a few too many smoke and mirrors in that app right now for me the quality of the reflections and lighting etc you have to work okay. pretty hard yeah, interesting. to get that yeah. um yeah. so i opted for octane right 
And Octane then has become my rendering engine for my moto work and my gravity sketch work. That's within the Maxon family as well, isn't it? No, Octane. it's standalone. It's its own thing. O- O2i. Oh, okay. O2i right, okay, owns, owns right. and, and built that. And so it's a standalone rendering engine. Yeah. Um, yeah, I've heard a lot of people who use Modul have also used Octane as well. So I wondered if it was somehow linked. But yeah, well, you can a, get a plugin for for Moto. So if you want to stay, in. yeah, you, if you want to stay in that environment, but then mm-hmm. it, you're you're running two apps at the same time. Yeah. So I usually uh, package my Moto scene. I set up all the materials in mm-hmm. Moto, and then I um, package it and export it into Octane standalone, and then right. I run Octane only, yeah. um, so I can get the optimum performance out of it. Are you using GPU rendering with the system you have just now? Is it? I think yeah. is, is it PC based? Is it using? Yeah, it I have a PC or? for the. Yeah, I have a PC because you need it to do all the higher end VR work. Right. Yeah. Right, which sure. I'm heavily yeah. into as well. So, um, yeah. So that the the PC was really to support the VR modeling, mm-hmm. um, and then it was as a result. I have like three 2080 Ti RTX cards in it. <laughs> Um, Sell a kid and they have to get those ones. <laughs> yeah, it's not it's not the 3090s, but it is. You know, yeah, 3080s is still pretty good. Trying um, to fight off the the Bitcoin miners to try and get a hold of some of them just now. Know, exactly. Of a nightmare. <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah. So, uh, but what's great is that um, it for GPU rendering, it's great. Octane will use all three cards. Um, right. But you know, I have two monitors with a, a Cintiq and a regular monitor behind. Right. Um, and so those are occupying a big chunk of both of those cards. So I really have one card plus a little on the other two. Um, to run the render. Right. To run the render. Um, cool. But it is significantly faster um, than anything that I've worked with. And then you're using also the AI stuff as well to generate to the images, um, which that are many of <laughs> multiple <laughs> a lot. Um, is there anything that's stuck out for you at the moment that you think is... is um, so the AI, yeah. um, well, let's let, since we're talking about the VR and the, the PC, let me wrap that up with like my yeah, two, yeah. Favorite, two favorite apps there. Right, okay, um, yeah. Yeah, so Gravity Sketch is my favorite um, modeler currently. Okay. Um, it's, it's, it's effectively traditional sub-D modeling. So yeah. everything I learned how to do, modeling in quads and doing retopology and all that sort of stuff in Moto, right. you, you can basically do in Gravity Sketch. Right. Um, okay. And now there's some new, like incredible snapping features. You can snap surface to surface. So you can oh. effectively do retopo in, <laughs> in Gravity Sketch, in VR. Oh, wow. So um, yeah, I pretty much model all my, my cars straight up with straight cut lines there. and everything um, yep. in Gravity Sketch. Um, the other one I spent quite a bit of time in was Medium um, by Oculus, and that's before um, Went to Adobe. Adobe bought them, right? Right. And now they're they still have Medium out um, on the Oculus Store, but I've heard support's really, kind of not been there for it since. Or yeah, yeah. Well, it's it's that whole dev team went in to work at Adobe now because Adobe right. purchased uh, Medium, and it's transforming into Modeler. And right. so, uh, modeler is um, looking the very, very promising, um, right. but it's a but it's a totally different sort of architectural mindset in how you model, right? Yeah, because yeah. medium was always voxel based. Um, I think modeler is still voxel based. It is. It's just that then they brought even more tools to it. So mm-hmm. um, you have to have a whole mind shift when you on how you do it, you know, right? Yeah, when yeah. you go into that. But as mm-hmm. far as being like super fast and fluid, it. Mm-hmm. it it's kind of like the um, it's 
kind of like Nomad on the iPad in a way, right? It's kind of got the ZBrush kind of feel. It feels mo the most like clay. Right, is, yeah. Is modeler or, or medium. Um, Probably makes sense with knowing the team, I mean, including Geo, who were there at the time, and Geo obviously being a very big proponent of ZBrush at the time and, and modeling in that. But then when he moved, even back in 2018, when we saw him at THU, he was demonstrating medium back then. And yep. yeah, I think he's probably brought a lot of that, you know, No, he's player. like the lead, one of the leads on modeler. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, I feel yeah. bad because he invited me to the beta on that. And I have yet to spend any time in it because I was so busy <laughs> at the yeah, end of, of last year. When he yeah, of course. Me. Yeah. Um, and then the other one that looks like it has lots of potential is Codon 3D, um, which looks okay. like full suite of ZBrush modeling in uh, VR. Um, the real problem mm -hmm. for me, and I've done, I've jumped, I keep jumping into it several mm -hmm. times. There's also one called Masterpiece Studio, I think. Right. Masterpiece VR. Um, they're very similar, but the UI is is kind of a lift from the desktop windows and UI. Right. And just floating a Windows uh, UI. Mm -hmm. um, imagine taking the window from uh, Maya, right. all those tools and buttons and everything, and just lifting yeah. it and showing it in VR. VR, right. Doesn't really, it doesn't translate. Um, yeah. It's too small, too fuzzy. It's it's not elegant, not easy to make your way around. Yeah. And so that's what um, Gravity Sketch has done probably the best job of, is their UI is super elegant, um, designed for VR. Yeah, I think that's one of the hardest parts of the whole VR experience is the UI, is trying to make it feel as natural as you can. I mean, yeah. there's some people who have tried to implement, you know, UIs where your thumbsticks rotation would mean that you would select different tools. I've seen people who have even straight up tried to, um, you know, put the tools in front of you, like they're physically there, like a chisel or a brush, and like you just pick them up and use them. Um, but I think that's still something because the technology is so new that we're still figuring out. And then even beyond VR, there's AR, which I think, People are saying that it's going to probably maybe dwarf VR because it then brings the two worlds of, you know, reality, real versus, you know, virtual reality and kind of slams them together. So it'll be interesting to see how that uh, technology evolves as well. You know, Yeah, I agree. Uh, I yeah. agree. It's going to be interesting. Um, yeah. I, I think my approach is just, you know, keep an open mind to all of it yeah. and, and try all of it. I mean, yeah. a lot of these things are so incredibly affordable. Gravity Sketch is free. Right. So is it still okay? Wow. Yeah. yeah so how can you how can you not if you have it? No, exactly. Yeah. The uh, blender it argument. Works on, it works on a quest too. Yeah. So how can you not, you know, say, well, I'll take an afternoon, I'll watch a couple tutorials, I'll jump in and yeah. see what it's all about. And the quest is wireless, it's yeah. relatively cheap and affordable, you know. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, exactly. So I mean the barrier to entry now for that is is come way down. Yeah. Um, I was buying the original headsets from Valve when they were like, you know, this big with the wires yeah, hanging yeah. at the back. So, I mean, <laughs> it's come a long way in a couple of years. Yeah. 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 Um, so those are kind of my favorites on the VR side is uh, Adobe Modeler, what it's becoming. It's looking super promising. And mm -hmm. then uh, Gravity Sketch is my go-to uh, right. on the VR side. And honestly, I do all my VR, all my modeling now in VR. I've right. totally, I can't, I can't even tell you it's like i jump back onto a flat screen and i'm like what i have to look in multiple views to figure out where this point is in space oh yeah that's right? interesting and when you're Things in like vr that. you have stereo vision right yeah. so you can just reach out and you know where the point is in space right and you can just manipulate it xyz freely yeah. um, with confidence because it's effectively attached to your hand right and you know where your hand is relative to your body yeah and so that is i think probably the most impressive and um you know the biggest positive of working in vr is stereo vision obviously yeah. 
So the ability to, you know, move around the thing and see parallax shifting is, is awesome. Um, and then I think the most sort of underrated part of working in VR is um, what it's doing for your spatial memory. And, and what mm. I mean by that is that when I've built something in VR, a surface or a piece of architecture, right? I've made a place that I visited, let's say, mm -hmm. um, that I'm standing within one-to-one -one scale. Mm -hmm. My brain effectively imprints the memory of that space like I was there, right? <laughs> okay. So okay. if I was to draw that in a single still image in 2D, and maybe mm -hmm. I do a final rendering of it and I paint it, right? I'm having to figure out all the shadows and lighting myself, or, or right. even I do a flat screen 3D comp of it. Mm -hmm. It still only feels like a photograph, right? At the end of the day. And so right. you know what it is when you look through a book or on a website, you see photos of a place. You're not, you don't mm -hmm. really have much in the way of spatial memory of being, uh, I see what you mean. having yeah, traveled, yeah. right? If you look at stuff, show you a bunch of pictures of you know California beaches, it's not like mm -hmm. you're ever going to feel like you were there. Yeah. Right. But working in VR, mm -hmm. you hang on, let me just close this thing that keeps That's okay. popping. Yeah, up. I think I think I know what you mean with the, the whole spatial awareness thing. It's definitely if you stand in front of a person, even just a, a person to draw them, you know, it's way different than looking at reference photos on the internet, you know, because there's so many minutiae and detail you'll see physically just standing in front of them. You know what I mean? Yep. Yeah. yeah. It, like if you're looking at photos, it turns it into basically uh, shapes and values. Right. Yep. But they're not volumes like dimensions um, in a yeah. photo. Right. Yeah. But when you've got when you're in a space and you walk around something, mm -hmm. um, I'm finding that having been in a space, whether I'm doing a car or a building, right, mm -hmm. or some bigger environment, because, you, you know, you can model it to any scale. Yeah. I, I can recall that uh, architecture or that surface mm -hmm. much, much more clearly um, in my mind days, weeks later. Yeah. Um, from having been uh, immersed next to the shape and next to the volume and seeing yeah. the parallax shifting. So I think that that um, improving your spatial memory is sort of undervalued um, right. of, of what you get out of the VR experience. I think it even draws back to totally what somebody told me when it even came to just drawn in 2D. Like they were saying that one of the biggest problems they had by a lot of students is because of COVID and because of online um, people were taking so much of the drawing experience from looking at a monitor and, you know, pulling up a, a reference photo of a person or a car or anything. And uh, th their drawings felt like they it lacked that dimension like you talked about. But when a lot of people traditionally learn how to draw and they went out into the world and done urban sketching or, you know, life drawing, that almost is like three to four times the amount of, you know, memory that you'll get from drawing as opposed to sitting and looking at a reference photo because it, it it trains you differently to look at something in a dimension when you're staring at it and it's right in front of you versus yeah. you know a flat screen um you just yeah. don't get the same experience no, you're, you're missing the immersion and the parallax shifting the stereo vision the yep. seeing volumes versus shapes um, even people know who paint outside in the world because even looking at a, a a sunset for example or a sunny beach on uh, an image on a, a monitor the monitor can never capture the things like your eyes can i mean you look into a sunset definitely with real paints and real perspective some colors will just know they'll change because they're just different on monitors versus how you see them and perceive them with your own two eyes so yeah yeah, yeah. 
even colors like that. So I would urge everybody, whether you're at school somewhere and there's Mm -hmm. a headset available now, everybody's stuck at home. But uh, anyway, if you know a friend or, or you can, you can jump into a headset and give it a try. I think it's, it's well worth it. I'm Mm -hmm. full. Like if you asked me five years ago, would we be modeling in VR as like the future? I would have said, no, you're crazy, right? It's going to be, you know, (laughs) the, the flat screen modeling is so getting so good now, blah, blah, blah. But yeah. And nowadays, yeah, totally. And you can go and cut, you can go cut models or 3D print straight out of Gravity Sketch. Um, so yep. it's, 100%. it's really, it's really interesting. And um, yep. I think you just have to keep an open mind to it. Like don't shut it down before trying it and give it like a real, a real try. Yeah. Like know? a couple of months or something. Or, yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know, do it yep. multiple times. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, even Geo, same thing with at Medium, and he was coming from traditional clay modeling into ZBrush, and then he yep. never thought it could be as good, right? But he kept going back. I think it's all he going, does now is all he does now is VR. I think I know, yeah. but he kept yeah. going back and trying it and trying it, right? And he had mm. it took time to find what are the right tools in this new app yep. that that are familiar to me and carry over my knowledge from traditional media. Yes. into this new environment, right? And that that's what really sort of took him a while was to work out his pipeline or his process, right? How mm-hmm. do I achieve the same sort of shapes that I'm used to achieving with clay and ZBrush in this yep. new environment? And that yep. and that takes time. So, yep. you know, you have to be patient. You have to give it a couple tries. Um, mm-hmm. You have to experiment. Mm-hmm. And then, and then you, you know, then you can rule it out or, or go deeper. Move on, right? yeah. Yeah, but yeah. it's, yeah, yeah it, and it does every time, like staying current on new tools just takes time, right? You just have to like say, well, okay, this is just going to take time. I need to yeah. like find whatever evenings, weekends, and I should jump in and just keep an open mind and keep always experimenting and trying, yeah. um, you know, what's coming. I think people just, like you said, it sometimes can get too frustrated with attention. You know, it seems to waver because if you're not really great at something within a couple of weeks, then your brain yeah. is almost like, well, why keep wasting time? But for some yeah. people, I know it's taken a whole year to get to a point where they're comfortable with a software, but then it's a whole year, but then for the next 10 years, you know, you know the software. So, you know, it's it's not a thing where every second counts. I mean, I know you've, your time's precious, but, you know, well, you be patient. Yeah, and I think the part that people forget is that there is, um, there is that the learning curve takes practice as well, right? right? So um, what I mean by that is that how you approach learning new tools, the more you do it and the more tools you try to experience, the better you get at how to approach learning itself um, from the beginning. Mm. So for instance, I've learned a ton of apps over the last, you know, five years and Mm -hmm. I sort of figured out a rhythm for my brain and like how, how best to approach learning a new tool. And so for me, it's about um, finding, identifying an app that has potential, right? So Mm -hmm. the first thing is, does that app have potential to support the things I want to create? Right? So what I tend to do first is I watch a bunch of tutorials, usually just jump on and watch them for free on YouTube because there's so much of a community out there now. (laughs) And so I might, or I might buy one from Glenn and, Mm -hmm. but I'll jump in and I'll look at the tool and Mm -hmm. I'll watch like hours of tutorials over, you know, a couple of days. So I'll dedicate like say a whole weekend to just watching tutorials. And Mm -hmm. what I'm trying to do is two things. I'm trying to evaluate the tools to see if they could support what I want to create. Right. Mm -hmm. So 
one thing is I'm qualifying it and saying, yeah, there's potential there before I right. jump in and try to learn and do anything. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is before I even buy the app, right? Yeah. I just just sort of heard about it, but this is my intro to it. Then the other thing I'm trying to do, um, not only evaluating, does it have value? The second thing I'm trying to do is I'm trying to understand the architecture of the app itself. Right. And what I mean by that is that <clears throat> software developers are usually quite logical um, mm-hmm. when they write programs. And if you can understand the architecture um, underlying the technology, then when you get stuck or you're working in the app later, you start to understand where things are arranged and why they're arranged certain ways. And right. so then it becomes, I got to say, much, much easier to almost predict where a tool might be, right? Um, because the way that tools are grouped based on a lot of times the programming or technical ability of the app, but that was right. driven by the programmers. So if you can sort of get in the, in the head of the programmer and understand the choices they made and why, then you can start to understand like the, okay, these are primary shapes. They're arranged this certain way. Then they get broken into this. And then um, it's kind of like in ZBrush understanding all the Z remesher, all those things, like at a fundamental level. And right. um, I find that to be super helpful when I start getting stuck. Right. And now, now I'm at the next stage, which, okay, now I'm actually going to go get the app. I'm going to install mm-hmm. it. Now I'm going to jump in. I'm going to redo the tutorials, but I already have a decent understanding of the architecture and more importantly, I know which tools I want to go learn first, right? So, because usually in each app, there's only probably only thirty percent of it that I'm interested in, right? And so, right. it's the eighty twenty rule kind of thing. Eighty percent of the time, you only use twenty percent of the UI. I know. Yeah. I know. And same even in Photoshop, right? I'm only using. I don't use any of the photo manipulation stuff so much. It's just right, the, yeah. trying to use it as a painting tool, yeah. right? But it's really way deeper than that. And of so. Course, yeah. um, and I'm not interested in any of the 3D stuff or any of those sorts of tools because I have other better tools for 3D. So right. um, you can ignore a lot of it. Um, and watching the tutorials first allows you to ignore a lot of it. And you yes. get like right to the things you want to learn. Yes. So that's become my method. And that's how I try to do it with each new app. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, talking about the whole thing of the 3D experience within VR and your spatial awareness there, how is the, you know, we can touch on it earlier, but how is the, the AI 2D stuff, flat screen stuff, how is that playing into your pipeline? Yeah, yeah, that's, that was, I just started getting into that last summer as well. And it's, I have, uh, what do I have here? Three, four, five, six apps on my list. Um, There's a fair few, yeah. Yeah, so the, I saw that as also something that you could easily as an artist, a traditional 2D artist, uh, mm-hmm. Photoshop master or a traditional painter, you could say, well, yeah, that's the, I don't want to work for the machine. That's the digital overlord. I don't like yeah, what yeah. it's doing. It's not, it's like, okay, fine, but it's here. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> it's, not, it's not like just because you are opposed to the philosophy of it, that it's, it's going to go away. Yeah, right? yeah. So you have two options. You can block yourself off from it and say, mm-hmm. and ignore it. Okay. Um, or you can jump in with an open mind and adapt and say, okay, is there a way that I can take this tool set and manipulate the tool set mm-hmm. to um, be my digital assistant instead right. of the digital overlord? Right. And so that's really been my mindset. And I've reached out to a lot of a few dev teams to say, mm-hmm. you know, oh, I think what you guys are doing has a lot of potential. I've tried mm-hmm. it. Um, would you be interested in, uh, interested in having a chat about 
you know, other ways from my perspective, you know, on the sort of more traditional art side, as opposed mm-hmm. to programming, you know, side, yeah. things that you could do to make it feel better, right. Um, for the artist to have more um, authorship, more control, things yep. like that. And so um, my deep dive into the AI was, uh, I'll just list off my apps I mm-hmm. started with. So um, Art Breeder, um, Canvas with NVIDIA, um, which was an extension of Gaugan, um, mm-hmm. which was that that AI engine that mm-hmm. Canvas grew out of. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Viscom, uh, which is uh, three, well, now there's more than three people now, but a small dev mm-hmm. team that's been trying to figure out, is there a... Um, an assistant in the rendering side, can we take a line drawing, render it, right? Um, automatically with AI. Mm-hmm. So that's what they're trying to do. Mm-hmm. They're doing other stuff as well. Um, Disco Diffusion, which is like new on the scene. I don't know if it's actually new, but it's sort of like new in the concept art world. More people right. are starting to try it. Um, which I've seen are, are probably one of the most impressive so far. Is that? Yeah, that it, I think right now it is the best. It takes the longest amount of time to process. To work it, um, yeah. And it's... It's much more robust, but it's also a little bit harder and technical to install. Like it's, yeah. it's you, and effectively when you're doing your controls, telling it what to do, um, mm-hmm. it's more like you're um, going in and I won't say replacing code, but there are, you know, it's not like a beautiful UI with menu windows where you're with a Yeah, prompt. there's no real front end for it right now. No, yeah. there isn't. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then Dream by Wombo. Dream by Wombo is an iPhone app, but it, mm-hmm. it effectively is the clean, simplified version of uh, Disco Diffusion in a way. Yes. So, um, and then same with some of the categories and genres on Art Breeder um, mm-hmm. are much more refined and uh, have a friendlier um, environment to work in. So yes. with all of those, <clears throat> I think the people that can use those AI images most effectively are the people that have the best traditional skills because yes. there, there are two things at play. Um, mm-hmm. There's uh, design. So it's, it's the, what is in the image, right? The content. Mm-hmm. And then it's the refinement of that content. So, and I've, and I've done tons of stuff with um, abstraction over the years, whether it's photos or I used to do a bunch of collage things in uh, Moto using the replicator tool. And I would take 3d elements and stack them up on top of a figure and get these mm-hmm. crazy sci-fi suits, but they were mm-hmm. all photoreal, super complex, right? Mm-hmm. So if you think of a traditional process, you start with a blank piece of paper. Usually you might pull some reference images, um, but effectively you're, you're stuck with a blank piece of paper and you start usually line drawing, right? Then you fill in those lines with some silhouettes. Then you start to add volumes with shading. Then you start to refine the materials, right? Um, towards the end. And then maybe you start even in grayscale and then eventually go to color. And so it's each step along the way, the image you're creating gets a little more complex, right? Um, But when you use AI and abstraction as the way to start, it's the opposite, right? So if you start over here with like blank piece of paper and each step gets a little more complex and you end up here with something photoreal and, you know, in an environment or a scene telling a story, communicating a design or an Mm -hmm. idea. Um, Over here, if you do AI, you start over here and you literally in something like Dream by Wombo, you just put in some words. Yeah. Right. Which is actually the same as the original drawing. You start with words usually, right? This is my intent. I want it to be sporty, rugged, right? Whatever. So you do that over there. Same for drawing. They kind of start at the same place. 
So that part's very familiar. Where AI is really strange um, is that it jumps right to here, which is where we ended with the traditional method. Um, it jumps and you go from the words to full foot or real. Now you're here, right? You're like, boom, it's all, it's, I see all of it. And it's usually way, way too much, right? Mm -hmm. it's, it's usually, and a lot of like Dream by Wombo, there's like usually three or four horizons within one image and yeah. you've got to go in and crop it to find, okay? Yeah. So now you have a different set of tools that you need to use to take the super photoreal, super hyper complex image. Mm -hmm. And now you need to work backwards to this one, yeah. which was the one that has the intent and the design that you're trying to communicate, right? But you're finding it in a different way, right? This one's a slow progression of uh, simple to complex. This one is the op opposite uh, complex to desired simplicity or finished piece in the middle. Yeah. And so um, it exercises different tool sets, right? So you have to be more of an art director. Um, and so there's a large, you can, cause you can generate so many images so fast, a big part of it becomes editing, art directing by manipulating the prompts, right? And so go, having spent, I mean, I made like thousands of these things now. I have mm -hmm. full folders and folders of these tests. And <laughs> yeah. where the originality, um, the, the opportunity for originality using mm -hmm. AI tool sets is, is within the control of teaching the machine. Yes. And what I mean by that is it's the data set that you feed the machine and the algorithm that manipulates the images, right? Mm -hmm. And then you get all these results. So yes. I'm trying to um, encourage all these developers who are writing mm -hmm. these programs to say, listen, I need, I need um, authorship of the data set. Like that's, for me, that's what I need. And, yeah. and I know it works really well because I can do it with um, Art Breeder, mm -hmm. with two of the genres in Art Breeder. You can do it with the portrait faces mm -hmm. and you can do it with landscapes. Yes. And so that's where you can control the data set um, entirely. The kind of sliders, so, the genes, yeah, the yeah. things in them. Yeah, yeah. And you can and you can upload the images that it pulls from. Yes. Okay. So that that's really at the root level where originality is going to happen. Um, yeah. And because then it's a data set that I created, I uploaded, yep. and it wasn't just a word prompt off the internet, and it wasn't an AI tool going out searching the exact same data set that you would search and I would search would be equal, right? Yep. And as a, as a creator, um, I want authorship, right, of the imagery, right? Because I want my image to be um, more original than your image, let's say. I want it to be different, right? I want yeah. to express the things that I'm most interested in in that final image. So right now, all the AI tools have pros and cons about this desire for originality and how they either let you do that, right, or they don't. And so yeah. I would say the ones that um, don't let you do that very well are um, uh, Dream by Wombo, for instance, right? Mm -hmm. You and I, the only thing we can put in there in that app is we can put the, um, the word prompts mm -hmm. and then we can choose the art style that it tries to uh, apply to the photo mashup, right? Yeah. But it's basically doing an internet query and <laughs> it sends off, looks for 
right? Things with yeah. those word prompts on the internet, it's going to, then it samples, pulls them, and then it has a sort of contextual, sometimes some of the art styles try to turn it into a, a portrait piece or a figure. Right. Other styles are better at turning it into a landscape, right? So you sort of learn that, which style works best for the content. Um, so it's contextualized a little bit, mm. but that's kind of a, the, the one that feels a little bit, it's a little bit frustrating in the con like you get amazing results that are super complex and abstract. Um, yeah. it takes a lot to paint over those and get them to a high level. Yeah. Um, but they're super inspiring to look at just to get ideas going. Ideas flowing, yeah. Yeah. But they're the same ideas that, you know, I think where the tools fall short is that if it feels like anybody can get to the same result, right? it doesn't feel like I'm bringing my value that I've learned for 20 years, 30 years right. to this tool. Yeah. Right. So I'm really pushing hard that the, the new AI tools and machine learning algorithms are leave the opportunity for artists that have a, a broad knowledge base. Yeah. How can they influence it, you know, beyond what um, like my mom could get? Right. Yeah. So if my mom can get the same image that I'm getting, yeah, yeah, then I'm disheartened and I feel that none of my prior knowledge and skill have a value in this AI tool. Yeah, I've I've even found it the same when I've been using ArtReader because I've been using it extensively the last week since we since you basically talked about it and the results I have had have been incredible. And uh the thing I have found is that, you know, people have said even to me, like, oh yeah, you know. Um, anybody could do it, you know, it's an AI generated, there's nothing artistic about it, but you know, when I sit with an image, I don't just take the first image I get, you know, I will sit and play with those sliders for, you know, sometimes a good hour and the end result, even just tweaking something by like 0.1, you know, like plus or minus the things I have came out with in the final versus what I, what it gave me originally are totally different, but have the elements I would say that would make a great piece, you know, even the one other night that I, I the more I formed it with these snowy mountains and this thing off in the distance, I was like, oh yeah, I could put some birds for scale at the back there and a light coming down and that could be a kind of like a Skyrim-esque kind of RPG thing. And, you know, th those things have then inspired me. And when I started to get those ideas into either what genre or game I could do, can I attribute to with those landscapes, you're then molding it to that artistic style. You think, well, there's compositionally, right? Okay, if I use my really thirds, the, the mountains up here and then it kind of swoops down. So there's a leading line. And this is stuff where artistic brain comes in, like you talked about where, you know, sure, anybody can press a button and an AI landscape's generated, but then to take it further into those aspects of now it's an artistic piece, that's where the artistic side comes in. So it's a very 50-50 relationship. Yeah. And that, I think, feels like a digital assistant, right? Yeah. And then you're like, okay, yeah, this is speeding up my process. This is generating ideas I wouldn't have otherwise had with a with either just looking at photos or mm -hmm. a drawing, you know, yeah. that sort of thing. So those are the areas where I find it super um, inspiring yeah. and, and almost addictively satisfying. Um, yeah. So that's a nice example, that art reader that gives you the sliders, right? So now what's happened then is that they've given you back some authorship control. Yes. So the way I used it, um, which was, yes, the sliders, but I did it um, different a little bit in that I took the time to build my own data sets. And so right. what I did, because the slider between the two images that it blends with, one is artistic style, right? Illustration yep. style. And the other one is basically design or uh, composition, right? Yep. And so I started doing these really simple um, black and white, even just Sharpie sketches or three values of gray, right? right. 
to, to delineate the composition, right? And I would scan those and I would build a data set of those that were compositional controls, right? right? And those were original drawings for me, but now they've been put into the, that half of the AI equation. Yeah. Then I took some of my landscape paintings and mm-hmm. my dad was a landscape painter. And so I took yeah. a bunch of his landscape paintings that I had um, of which I'm the only person who has them in, in the context of this, you know, so now it's an original data set. Right. Um, meaning I'm the only one who has them all this photographic form. Right. Yep. And so we're digital form. And so I did that plus my own landscapes and I built that on the artistic style side. Right. And then I used, so now I've got a data set, two data sets, one for artistic style mm-hmm. that other people don't have. And I'm using traditional line drawing and marker sketches to control composition, right? Which right. also people don't have. And so now that really feels to me like a digital assistant. Yeah. And now I'm creating original pieces that are derived from my own, you know, my own work and my dad's work as a sort of yeah. a combo mashup. Um, that I find to be more satisfying than um, the Dream by Wombo style. Dream by Wombo is literally like AI sketching. Yeah. It generates tons of like ideas, but anybody could anybody could generate those ideas, right? right. I, yeah. I don't feel there's a sense of authorship really. Um, yeah. I will say because I use, there's a hundred characters you could use, right. right? The more words you add, the more original sort of sense of authorship you get because the odds go down that somebody else in the world would have picked the exact same words. Right. right? So if I'm using all 100 characters and I've got whatever, however many 10 words in there or something yeah. or more, 15 even, now I'm actually starting to get that sense of satisfaction that comes from authoring the originality of the image. Right. Yeah. Um, I'm, yeah. I agree with you. I mean, like, it's one of these things where, like, you know, if, if you could stand at the back of a canvas and, and look at, and somebody else held the brush and you said, okay, put them out in there, put a stream here, you know, like, and you were just kind of directing, like you said, you were just moving things about, then that's kind of where these things feel like they're going. And, and the less you have to maybe use words or, or, or slide stuff and it comes to a, a conclusion really quickly with the data set you upload, you know, the better it's obviously going to get in the long run. So, yeah. And so Canvas from NVIDIA is like that, right? Canvas from mm. NVIDIA is like, if you have strong perspective drawing skills mm-hmm. and a good sense of um, image composition, mm-hmm. you bring those skill sets when you define those shapes. Oh, um, yeah, because the NVIDIA one, you actually paint, it's like a brush, right? You shapes right, they're yeah. color-coded, right? They're color-keyed to different um, uh, topology or, or landscape elements, right? So river, right. sky, mountain, grass, trees, right? Those are all different colors. Yep. And so you're basically making shapes, but if you have the ability uh, with traditional skills to draw in perspective, you know yep. how to change the scale of those shapes, right? Yeah. Um, to hint at where's the horizon. And it's smart yep. enough at then knowing where the horizon is as well. So you're helping it to better understand your intent but yep. you are in full control of the composition. Um, and so that has a lot of authorship ability yep. um, as compared to just using word prompts, for instance. Yeah, definitely. And then again, it's one of these things where, I mean, you probably feel that way that with NVIDIA, that would be a good combination to integrate into something like ArtReader, right? If you could get to a point with a picture where you were like, oh, I just want a mountain, like right there, you know, and you could maybe just paint that in quickly and it would obviously regenerate, make it up again. Yep. You think that would be a good combination of like those two minds coming together? Yeah, I agree. 
Yeah. I think so. Because yeah. what's what's missing out of the canvas is the art style, right? It doesn't ever looks like a painting. It's always photoreal. Right. Right. Yeah. And what I've experimented with is taking those photoreal images and then throwing them into like a post processing app, you know, that does filters. So right. then you can get the artistic feel of the the more painterly feel that's maybe more interesting to paint over the top of. Of course. Um, and can't remember the one I was using. John Park recommended it to me. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's a good, there was a good app. There's a bunch mm-hmm. of them, but you know, artistic, um, art filter ones, um, make it look like a watercolor oil painting, you know, the traditional yeah. stuff, but, yeah. um, so that you can take those canvas images and, you know, um, manipulate them even further. Um, yeah. you can also then take your canvas images and mm-hmm. build a data set inside art breeder. Right. right. So you could take all your landscapes that are AI generated yeah. Right? And this is like the snake eating its tail, right? Yeah. Now you start yeah. to like, you feed it its own creation. So I yeah. could go in there and draw mm-hmm. my own compositions, mm-hmm. whatever I wanted. I could then filter them in another app after Canvas. I could get mm-hmm. a watercolor, oil painting, pastels, whatever look I wanted. Then yeah. I could load those into Art Breeder and then use mm-hmm. those as my art style images, yeah. right? Yeah. But they also have the compositions as well because yeah. I created the compositions. So I think that there are a lot of really interesting multi-app um, mashups, mm-hmm. right? And you only sort of get there when you, you take the time to, to try and understand the apps at a fundamental deep level, right? Yeah. And, and what are they giving you for your pipeline and your process? Mm-hmm. And how can you exploit that, what it gives you, right? To support your desired, you know, outcome. Is this a thing where it's all kind of building and, uh, you know, we'll maybe wrap up with this, but, you know, the whole time I put out questions for you, for kind of online, when people knew I was coming in and view you, the kind of common question we got back was, where's the next book coming in the series for you? You know, because you had the how to draw, how to render. So the how to design is obviously the one people have been looking at. Is this something that you're building towards with these experimentations? Yeah, yeah. Everything I am everything I do with all these experiments, I'm, mm. I have uh, the plan to drop them into a book as a chapter, right? So right. I would do like, here's my experience in Art Reader, pros and cons, right? Here's a chapter on that. Here's 10 pages that cover my experience and exactly what we've just been talking about, right? Yeah. In the context of new tools. Mm-hmm. So how to design would have a, a new tools section. I don't really like doing tools or software um, at a granular level because it changes so fast, right? Yeah. So I don't want a book to become outdated. So yes. most of my discussion around software and tools mm-hmm. has been about architecture and the philosophy behind the thinking, right? And that's where I don't really matter how many revs come out of the software. Um, generally speaking, when a dev team has has decided on the architecture for their app, they're going to stick with that for a period of years, yeah. right? That's um, because that's a big jump to then all of a sudden switch a rendering engine fundamentally, right? So um, I, I think I'm okay talking about apps and software in the context of a book chapter, but mm-hmm. it will be from a slightly different approach. It'll be a higher level yeah. approach about, yes. um, you know, you know, here's the view from up here about what these tool sets can do. And here's a way mentally to approach them. Mm-hmm. So that you don't feel threatened by them and you sort of need to, you know, you need to own the machine, basically. Yeah. You know, <laughs> make you it work for to, you. You need to it won't it won't be upset with you if you dictate to it what you yeah. want it to do, right? But it, you don't want to be um, you know, at the mercy of it. So you have to just really dig in and say, what does it do well? 
What can I manipulate? Mm-hmm. Where can I keep my authorship? Where can I keep the creativity, the originality, mm-hmm. right? Where does it give me a, um, an edge professionally? Where can it, um, where can it help me see new things that I wouldn't otherwise have ever thought of? Right. So how can it help me broaden my style, uh, my visual library? Right. And so um, I think it's fantastic for those things, by the way. I mean, it's like, wow, I, I generate, you know, a hundred landscapes in an afternoon. And if you asked me to draw all those, I would have not come up with, a, you know, 80% yeah. of these are things I wouldn't have ever thought of. Um, yeah, but weeks, weeks worth of work as well, as opposed to hours as well. If you ever get there. Right. Yeah. And so as far as like broadening your, your style selections, right. Mm-hmm. I think it's like hands down yeah. the future. Right. I mean, yeah. it's, and it's already here. Like, don't, don't argue with me or, or, you know, <laughs> express, you know, yeah. what and discuss whether or not it's coming or does it have a future? It's yeah. like, it's no, here. Yeah. It, it's here. It's been here yeah. for several years. And it, you know, if you're, and that's just where it's at. So, you know, either embrace it and help steer it, yeah. right? Um, or you can ignore it. He who is resistant to change is destined to perish. I think it's the old saying. So, um, <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, even people say the same with VR and its use case and the fact that, you know, like, oh, it's, it's not going to change the landscape. And But even for me, outside of art, you know, as a, a lifelong gamer, VR was one of the first things. For, for many years, for many years of my adulthood, games were never really hitting the same video games. I mean, they were cinematic, they were getting more, you know, realistic, but VR is what really reinvigorated my sense of having fun in a game environment because you were in it, you were physically experiencing these things. And it's the same with art now. You know, people, once the, the gaming thing passed on and VR had kind of done its thing with that, and then people started to use tools within it, you know, and, and art and VR sculpting, you know, people were like, ah, you know, it's a fad. It's, you know, I will never beat VR. It'll never beat, um, sorry, I'll never beat ZBrush. It'll never beat Maya. But now, you know, we're getting to that point where the tools are so advanced it is happening and very quickly you know within the matter of years rather than decades you know it's the, the, the exponential growth of it has been incredible so um and obviously more and more people are embracing the that side of the world yeah. so i think you're right in what you're saying you have to really embrace it yeah it was like a year ago or something that i played like half-life alex right in vr which is incredible yeah. and i can still remember the layout of rooms yeah because i walked through them yeah, 100%. Right? And, then, and then a face hugger scared the shit out of me and had to, you know, <laughs> tear off the headset, right? But, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I can still like have a visceral memory of experiencing another mm-hmm. place. Yeah. Because it was in VR. Yeah. Um, and I just don't get that well, through a flat screen. I'm the same. You know, even the, the, the times when I first was playing with VR and, you know, the early days of the, the Vive headset and, and all the, the huge controllers and um, I would play a game for maybe an hour or two and when you take the, the headset off, you forget, you would forget where you were. You were forgetting you were in your room or in... Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. It's it's scary because your mind plays such tricks in you and, and the first times I was playing, you know, the Vertigo, the, the sense of like falling, like a lot of that stuff was like, you know, you didn't have your sea legs, as I said that, you know, yeah, early yeah. on. That, yeah, but um, but now it's it becomes almost an extension of you. When VR, I actually found a sense of like loss when I, I left a lot of those places and came out back into the real world. I, I couldn't feel the same way I did when I was in VR. It was scary. Yeah, it doesn't scare me. I enjoy I enjoy the like just white room, uh, clean modeling experience where I just control the lighting and the yeah. you know, the HDR that's mm-hmm. reflecting into my surfaces, like for doing a car. What yeah. I love is just the, uh, the lack of distractions, right? Yeah. I don't have anything popping up 
in my YouTube or anything, music or yeah, right? there's no email popping in. Mm-hmm. There's nothing that distracts me. So when I go in there, I find it so enjoyable yeah. to just focus on the task at hand. Mm-hmm. And and nothing moves in that modeling space unless I physically move it, right? So right. Yeah. this is very different than a video game experience where there's things in the space that are approaching you and you know, yeah, you know, chasing you, whatever. But mm-hmm. that's very, very different. You react to a lot of the environment. This is you're in full control of the environment. So mm-hmm. I mean, it's uh, one. I find it super comfortable as a result because nothing mm-hmm. moves until you move it. Right. So yes. uh, it does, there's no disconnect between your camera and the environment, right? The worst yeah. for getting sick and nauseous is when there's a disconnect between what yeah. you see and feel. Right. Yep. And so this, there is always like rock solid. And I always sit when I'm doing it. So I'm, I'm mm. you know, and I, and I don't, I always lock vertical when yeah. I'm working. So I find it mm-hmm. rock solid movement wise. Um, yeah. And uh, so that allows me to do like six, seven hour sessions, you know, during a day. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, not all in one go, but for the total for the day, I can do six. Right. Okay. Hours. I was going to say yeah, your head would be killing me. The, the most I can do in headset is um, about three hours. Um, yeah. You start to feel it on your head after that with the headset. Yeah, yeah exactly. Even, even, it's more like it becomes yeah. physical. Um, like a weight thing. Yeah. Yeah. And so I, I work with a Rift S because it's lighter. Okay. I like right. it better. I think it's more comfortable than the, the right. Quest 2. And having started with tethered cords, it doesn't really bother me to be tethered yeah. and I'm seated. So it's not like it's, you know, you're tethered. moving about and turning and standing yeah, yeah. and moving around the room. Um, but yeah. yeah. And did you have any questions from people that you wanted to ask? I got a little more time. Yeah. I mean, mostly to be honest, it was, uh, a, it was mostly about your new book and about, huh. you know, if the book was ever kind of coming out, if you had an yeah, idea. About... So yeah. <laughs> cut right to that right away. Which yeah, is, yeah, it's yeah. not, not going to be while. here soon. Yeah. Um, I'm now shifting back. Um, I did a, I did a NFT, a 3d NFT with crypto motors last mm-hmm. um, Thanksgiving. So that was something mm-hmm. I did over the summer, which is a whole nother topic. The whole NFT space is oh, yeah. you know, just insane. <laughs> I'm working in that space right now. So that is definitely a whole other topic. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we, we could have a talk about that at some time if you like, cause I have learned yeah, yeah. a lot about it. Um, mm-hmm. and, um, we're doing, we're doing a big one soon, middle of this mm-hmm. month with a, mm-hmm. A group I collaborated with called Whip Season, W H I P Season dot com. Mm-hmm. Um, it's basically like collectible baseball cards in a way, but they're all cars, and they're all cars oh, okay. as part of a video game. And so it's it's very much a three D heavy um, you know offering. Um, right. The, the cards just are keys to unlock the three D asset in a metaverse. So there's a, right large utility function to the 3d asset, which is the same thing I did with crypto motors back in November. Um, right. So we're the same, we're doing a, a collectible card game at the moment and the collectible cards are NFTs, but then they have a function cause we're building, that's why I'm on board cause I'm doing 3d. So we're building a 3d game that facilitates the cards that you can use in the world as a, a physical card game. And then we're building the 3d environment. So the NFT at the moment really is for us as fundraising is to build capital to make the actual game right. nfts is just a part of it but um but yeah we're, we're finding that space really interesting and it's and now we're building function in the nfts a lot of people are getting on board because yeah it's one thing they found that people have, have lacked from the nft space is that there's no real function of them past collecting yeah, if, so if you can attach utility it's got much more uh has uh longer legs to yes. the appeal for the person who buys it and it has more value um, yeah. especially if you end up in a like play to earn situation like if you can get it into a play to earn game you can kinda, that's that what we're aiming for. Yeah. yeah, you can make back the money 
right? That you use to purchase the car in the first place. Yes, yes, um, that's pretty much what we're doing. Because we've got we're in the world that Matt has built out. So I'm working for Matt Gazer. So he's 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 my boss at the moment, and uh, yeah, he's uh, he's worked for many years in Disney. You know, uh, Warner Brothers, you know, Universal. He's worked on all big film projects as a, as a concept artist and visual development artist. But he took all his kind of money from that to build this company and now he's using that to build out the world of dr zamsey and the the card game is something that was kind of the first thing because working through nfts we can raise that capital but now also we're talking about doing uh, a full feature 3d game um a tv series with possibly with netflix or something and then also a, a film at the end as well maybe with dreamworks to do a full animated feature so yeah the nfts at the moment are kind of just funding us to keep us going um through the initial stages but yeah we're, we're working on the game first yeah. i mean there's a lot of controversy around it because it's cryptocurrency right and a yeah. lot of you know um power usage the energy and stuff it's like power that. usage it's a lot of them are, are quite dirty because of where they're being minted right so it yes. really depends where it's being minted on how dirty yeah. it is or is not yeah. And so we're using, um, we signed up a, a contract with Offsetra. Offsetra's mm-hmm. in the UK. Right. And um, they will track your uh, mint energy mm-hmm. usage mm-hmm. and how clean or dirty. So they'll actually measure the CO2 output um, during your mint. And oh, then you um, donate to uh, reforestation or a green program to offset uh, okay. your CO2. Your carbon footprint. Right. Your yeah, carbon yeah. footprint. So you can do an NFT drop that is um, carbon neutral. Mm-hmm. It's not carbon free, yeah. Right? But you can offset the, the, cost. the carbon produced by the energy used, mm-hmm. right, to be neutral, yeah. so that you're not, you know, making the problem worse. And and I do fundamentally believe that that's going to get cleaned up over the next year or so. Yeah, well, we we, you know, we we use primarily wax crypto at the moment. That's we're on the wax blockchain, and the wax blockchain is inherently one just for gamers, but also it is one of the cleanest. Um, cryptos mm-hmm. and, and and so that's the reason that we're on that blockchain because uh the reason it supports you know the, the gaming the gaming side of it as well as, as the clean energy side so um we've, we've made that conscious decision early on and uh matt was very clear about what he wanted to do with that because yeah, yeah. Uh, ethereum yeah. was obviously you know but ethereum 2 is coming out that's supposed to be even cleaner so well it's, we gonna, be, it's gonna all go to proof of stake versus work and then that'll yes. effectively get rid of of mining you know, yeah. for, so um, then will be very, very little energy usage. Um, yeah, definitely. So, which I can't wait for. Um, of course. But yeah. In the meantime, I think if you're going mainstream, the mm-hmm. group I'm uh, attached to, they wanted to do mainstream because of the security of Ethereum. Um, yes. Everybody has it, et cetera. Mm-hmm. It's a big, a big launch, that sort of yeah. thing. So I can understand that. So yeah. I think that this is kind of your best option currently yeah. is to do a, a proper offset program. Um, yeah. to be to be neutral at a yeah. minimum uh what you're doing is better um mm-hmm. if the if it's works if the token works with what you're trying to do mm-hmm. well we'll talk more about this we should of course we should chat yeah. off, a whole off other kind of worms but yeah but i mean even even what we talked about today scott was great and and i think um you know for everybody that's listening just now and have got to this point i'm sure uh, they've, they've really hung in and get every word at this point because yeah it's one of these things that i love about your uh, approach to work is that um even as you continue to go on and, and do more work you never really give up on embracing new technology and new ideas so i try not to but it does take effort and it does take time right of and, and and you can't just in try not to put pressure on yourself about yeah. the results right yeah. just just take time learn the process and i think side benefit is you learn a lot more about the way that your own brain thinks right yes. but even if you explore a tool you watch some tutorials mm-hmm. you know you start to un- better understand your own brain and mm-hmm. what stimulates it 
Yeah. And you're like, wow, I, I found that thing. I just watched three hours of tutorials. I didn't get any of it. I just don't, <laughs> don't I don't connect to that. It's like, yeah. great. You just learned something about something your own about brain. yourself. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So yeah. that is totally a time uh, well spent. Worth well spent, exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I think it's all about that ongoing, lifelong learning journey. It, I don't think yeah. that ever goes away. Know thyself. I think it's one of the hardest things about becoming an artist is that you know, you know, your your whole visual language is, is yep. difficult. So. Yeah, definitely. Um, okay, so yeah, well, let's go go because he's got a busy day ahead of him. But uh, but yeah, if you guys have listened to this point, thank you again for for listening. Um, if you have any questions for Scott, you can leave them down below. I'll, I'll try and forward them on. And again, I'll leave um, all of Scott's social links or art links, and of course, every app that he's talked about. We'll try and extensively list all of those uh, below as well, so you can check them out for yourself. And uh, yeah, that's that's pretty much it. Um, thanks to you guys again for listening. Thanks for Scott for coming on. Um, I hope you yeah. enjoyed it. Thanks, Gordon. It was fun to catch up. Yeah, definitely. And uh, yeah, we'll, we'll see you guys in the next episode. Uh, yeah, remember we'll, to check we'll us out. All, uh, pray for better days ahead with the, the rest of the world. So yes, 100%. Yeah, everybody but, be well and be safe out there. Yes, uh, our thoughts are definitely with the guys in Ukraine right now. And uh, I hope everybody in that country is staying safe. Um, um, I mean, I'm hoping maybe by the point this, uh, this podcast episode comes out, then <laughs> things have changed and we are in better days. But uh, we will see what, what the world has to offer for us. But yeah, yeah, yeah positive thoughts going out. Um, and then again, yeah, uh, we're in many podcast services um, across the board. iTunes, uh, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and of course we're on YouTube um, for the video podcast. So check us out in all those channels. And uh, yeah, we'll see you guys in the next episode. Bye, guys. Bye-bye.